This week in the Bear Cave, everyone, I'm Dennis Zarrell, and today I'm joined by my guest co-host, the manager of the Butte Theater, Zach Stanio. And this week we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County, the historic Butte Theater in Cripple Creek, bringing you the best melodrama productions in the United States, In the Shadow Designs, the place where your custom creations are made for all occasions, and Peak Washing, LLC, the pressure washing professionals for that dirty job. Well, like I mentioned, in the studio with me today is the manager of the Butte Theater, our friend to the Bear Cave, Zach Stanio. Zach, welcome back to the Bear Cave. Man, thanks for having me. I love being here. I love being here. I love the Bear Cave. Yeah, well, you probably don't care about your reputation. That's why you're you're back again here. So. <laughs> no, man, I need all the marketing I can get. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that, we're going to announce today that uh, we're going to do a co-promotion between the Bear Cave and the Butte Theater for the rest of the season. We've been talking about this for a while and and uh, how we can help each other out. And that's kind of what we do here. We are, we're kind of a kindred spirit through acting and motion picture and television kind of stuff. So uh, for the rest of the season, we're going to be doing this uh, co-promotion and uh, we're happy to do it. Amen. Amen. And we're happy to do it as well. Well, if we can uh, drive some listeners your way and you can drive some people to the to the theater, it's going to work out. How's it been going so far? I mean, you've had the baptism of fire. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, had the rains now. We uh, just finished our second show, Nonsense. Um, it's been a wild ride. Um, I, I did not realize how much of a one-man show this is, I guess, from my side of the, side of the street. But yeah, it's been fun. I uh, I didn't really under, understand what I was getting into with the melodrama. And seeing that, it's you know, extremely different from any acting I've done, but the patrons love it. And that's, I think that's the coolest part of the job is the people. You know, it's, it's funny, but when you say that, because, uh, when I went to the show a few weeks ago, uh, right before nonsense got started from racks of riches, I forgot a lot because it's been so long since I've been to a melodrama. Yeah. And I, I realized it's like, well, wait a minute. The actors are also the ushers. They're also the people who clean up after you throw your popcorn on the ground. And it's like everybody does everything. It's, it's really a, a unique, uh, I guess, experience if you're an actor because, yeah, every everybody has to pitch in. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're like you said, they're cleaning the theater after the show. They're seating the people. They're uh, serving the drinks, serving the popcorn, which, you know, it works out because it's just, you know, me and uh, one theater assistant. So... If it was just up to us, it'd be shows would be starting about 30 minutes late. It's not like you're in a dressing room waiting for curtain call or the five minute warning. It's like you're out there doing all these tasks and then you got to get your game face on and, and get up there and perform. And from what I saw uh, from Rags and Riches, it was awesome. Oh, yeah. I was so pleasantly surprised. I guess I shouldn't be, but, but I was by the level of talent that was in that show. I will say that about Thin Air. They pull some really talented people up here. And that's uh, like one of the compliments that we get the most that the beauty is wow this you know they're so talented they're so talented and you know being a dramatic actor seeing that you're like man this is like it's a it's a little bit jarring at first when you see like everything's to the height like the heightened emotions and there's no nothing internal everything's out there and just seeing them keep that level up for i mean two show days eight shows a week you yeah know, you think they'd be burnt out and they're just 
right back on it. Like you said, it's a whole different level. Well, I don't know about level, but it's a different way of acting because, uh, you know, I'm a TV motion picture kind of guy and so are you. And uh, man, I don't know if I could pull that off, you know, because I, I have very limited stage experience as it is anyway. Yeah. But melodrama is just so, it's exactly what it says. I mean, it's it's, it's over the top. It's loud. It's in your face, you know, kind of thing, which it has to be. And um, I was just, uh, it brought back a lot of good memories from uh, the Diamond Bell Theater that I used to go to in okay. Drango. So it was a blast. And uh, man, if you guys are just sitting there slugging Jack Daniels at eight o'clock in the morning, you need to wait until like three in the afternoon and go see a matinee or something. Yeah. And the thing I liked watching the most was like the mellow part of the melodramas, the melodies. For that one, it was uh, Paul Tyne was the uh, music director, you know, and I was talking to him like, how much, how much of this is in the moment? Like you, you know, you kind of you know, absolutely, you know what you're doing as far as like the director laid it out. The dude is playing for like three hours straight. Three hours straight, dude. And he's like accenting everything they do. Yeah. And that's what really like just takes it to that next level. That's what really just like makes that melodrama come alive uh, is, you know, someone walks across the stage and he's doing a little like <laughs> it's like the show that we do. We're trying to paint a picture in people's minds and we do it through, you know, music and sound effects and things like that. And, and uh, cause you know, nobody wants to hear me run my pile for an hour and a half or, or whatever the case may be. But man, it's so much fun and you just have to sit down there you know grab some popcorn grab a drink and just be entertained until you become part of the show and i noticed that people start catching on towards the end yeah at first it's kind of like uh boo oh yeah we missed a boo and it's like oh yeah oh we missed a yay and then sporadically things start to pick up a little bit and then by the end of the show it's just like everybody's into it oh yeah it was funny i think uh about two weeks two or three weeks into the run i had to start mentioning from the stage like hey look i know they're they're good at their job and they pull out their emotions but there's no magic screen up here they can hear everything you're saying so we were having people be like oh that bitch bitch <laughs> and like it affects them they're people <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. um so <laughs> <laughs> Talk about instant feedback, man. Oh, instant feedback. And uh, it's cool. So the, the audiences up there, our matinees are the best. So we, awesome. have, we have the more turnouts on the matinees and they really get into it, you know, with the booing and the hissing and all that. And then you kind of got to pump up the evening crowd a little bit. But yeah, the matinee, the matinee crowds up there are phenomenal. Well, maybe give them a free shot at Jack when they come through the door or something. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't have the ability to do that, but (laughs) true. Fair enough. But uh, I sat next to a couple who came from Guffy. Okay. When we were there and they said, Hey, we come up here all the time. Yeah. They're the matinee crowd. They're kind of older folks as well, (laughs) but uh, it's funny who you meet just sitting in your chair and just talking to people. For me, that's the coolest part of the job. So I think I had some different ideas of what this job was going into it. But yeah, that is, that's the cool. I mean, I've had conversations with like four or five 96 year old people who it's like, man, dude, you have this wealth of knowledge. And they've been coming up since they were doing the show at the Imperial. So a lot of our patrons for the matinee shows, especially are like, oh, we've been coming for you know, 20 plus years. Well, you don't have a for sale sign in your house. So that means maybe you're staying until the end of the season at least, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm, I'm having, I'm having fun. Like I said, I, th- I think uh, it's been the, the crux of my life is, is having expectations before actually getting into something. So, but they do a, they do a really phenomenal job. And uh, like I said, the, one of the biggest compliments we get is super, super talented. And I mean, you didn't see nonsense, did you? No. Last week, I was going to come up for Donkey Derby Day and, and uh, my wife got got ill. Yeah, that's right. So I was bummed because that was the last show. And uh, I think it was the last show was Saturday, right? The last show was Saturday. Yeah. yeah. We had a phenomenal turnout. But yeah, some, I mean, you you heard a couple of the, you know, the women's voices in the uh, melodrama. But right. for the musical dude, phew, 
like Sister Amnesia. Like I had no idea she could sing like that. Every one of those actors had uh, had a good set of pipes on them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was pretty cool. And they used outside of one lady that they brought in, they used all the uh, women from the melodrama in nonsense. Nice. The patrons are the best part of this job. We had a, uh, a group from uh raft masters come up and the guy that owns the place dressed up like a, like a priest. And he got up on the stage and got uh pictures with the cast. It was really cool. That's cool. Well, what's the next production that's coming up? Uh, greater tuna. You seen it? I have not. No, I haven't either. I'm super excited. So it's uh it, it it takes place at a radio station, I believe, and it's two actors and they each play about 10 different parts. They got to do quick costume changes, you know, one of them one minute might be a little old lady, the next minute they're, you know, a sheriff or something. I don't know. I haven't seen it. So wow. I guess they, it's been done up here before, but I haven't seen it. So I'm super excited for that. So that opens this Friday and then that'll run till I think September 17th. Okay. Well, get up there and see it. I'm going to go up there and uh, if the wife gets sick, I'm just going to have to go without her, I guess. But uh, Well, anyway, today we have a really good lineup. We have a bit of a, I guess, a controversial figure coming in today, and he is the interim chief for the Florissant Fire and Rescue Department, and that's Eric Holt. He's coming in as our guest along with our field producer, Trevor Phipps. Sorry, but uh, no story time with Michelle today. And, uh, yeah, she's recovering from, I think she has an ear infection. Maybe it's, uh, she was in South Carolina last week, so maybe she got like trout flu or something. I, <laughs> I don't know. But um, she won't be coming in, so we're going to miss her, and hopefully she'll be back next week. Yay! We're still working on the guest for next week, but uh, we will be joined by Director of Marketing for the Rocky Mountain Vibes, Kay Goodell, with the Vibes Report. And uh, the Vibes are actually doing really well. I don't know if you're a single-A baseball fan or not. Man, they were just like not doing well at all. Oh, yeah? And they have like two halves in, the, in single A ball. Well, the second half, they're doing really well. Okay. We'll be talking about the road trip they're on right now. They get back to Colorado Springs on the 23rd, and there'll be all kinds of activities going on, and uh, Kay's going to come in and talk about that. At the end of the month, we have Woodland Park City Council member Catherine Nakai coming in, and uh, it's, it's been a hot minute or two since she's been in the Bear Cave, so we'll see what she has to say. September's shaping up nicely as we have local musician Carrie Dell coming into the Bear Cave to spend some time with us, and I think she's dropping an album, if I'm not mistaken, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, it's funny, I, uh, I saw a YouTube video, and I'm like, who is this woman? She was singing uh, some blues song. I can't remember what it was, but I'm like, man, I got to get a hold of her. She's like, what? She's from Woodland Park. So I had a nice conversation with her and she's agreed to come in. So that's going to be kind of interesting. Hey, man, is she going to do a song? Uh, maybe we can talk her into it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe something uh, for uh, off her new LP. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, man, yeah, that lady is, man, you talk about a set of pipes. Yeah. And talent, her band, is great. Also in September, we have Woodland Park Police Chief Chris Deisler coming in for a visit. And uh, hopefully he's coming in to uh, chat and not arrest us. Yeah. That, that would be bad. But uh, I've had a few conversations with him, and uh, he's doing a lot of good things here in Woodland Park. And uh, if, you, if you haven't noticed, there's uh, been a lot of press releases coming from the Woodland Park PD lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That we haven't seen before. And uh, he's bringing the whole community policing philosophy together, and it seems to be working quite well. So we're excited to have him there. Nice. One more thing before we get started in the down and dirty stuff. Uh, yesterday was National Airborne Day. And I want to throw a shout out to all my brothers and sisters of the silk. We appreciate your service and your sacrifices that you have made through all these years. And uh, all we're going to say is uh, airborne all the way. God bless you. Well, it has been a year since we left Askrakistan, <laughs> as I call it. One year ago, we abruptly left Afghanistan. And what some believe, as I do, was a hasty and very chaotic way to leave the Taliban, a well-armed 
and well-supplied army thanks to Sniffy Joe and his, uh, his minions. Yeah. Uh, absolutely insane. Now, you know, you can say a lot of things about the Donald and, uh, by now everybody knows I'm not, uh, I'm not his biggest fan because, uh, yeah, I still think he's a executive producer of a reality show, but, uh, well, America's become that. So <laughs> yeah, good point. Here, here comes the hate mail. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, as a result of that, we lost 13 service members. We had 170 civilians killed on a terrorist attack right outside the gate. Everybody remembers that I think because we have short memories in America. We really do. The Biden regime, I'll call it, or their administration, they've kind of swept things under the rug. Well, it's so easy to nowadays. You just you have a new crisis every four days to take your attention away from the actual crisis. Yeah. The Donald, of course, is is the uh, Democrats favorite target. Oh, yeah. None of the presidents that we've had since that conflict have been able to get out. Right. Right. At least when the Donald was leaving, he had a plan in place. And Sniffy and his minions just completely disregarded that whole plan. And it's like, we're leaving. And of course, Joe was saying that, uh, you know, we rely on our well-trained counterparts from Afghanistan. And what did it take? Like, I don't know, less than 10 days to take over the entire country. Yeah. Was it even that? I mean. Yeah, something like that. But the Taliban came in, they took it over. And as things would have it, nothing has changed. We're back to square one. Uh, Women can't go to school. Kids aren't going to school. Women are completely covered up again. They can't go out at night or go out unescorted. I don't know what the uh, entire uh, law is. But bottom line is that we're back to Taliban rule and we're back to being a completely controlled Islamic country. Now, do you think the hasty withdrawal and not kind of following Trump's plan was just because it was Trump's plan or what? Politics would say that that's the case. I don't know that it is. I just know that it was a horrible plan. Yeah. There were steps that were in place. And then all of a sudden we just throw the game plan out and just go, ah, we're getting out of here and that it'll be fine. But as it turns out, we left hundreds of Americans over there. Yeah. Along with some of the Afghanis that were helping us. We just left them. And the excuse was, well, we told them, you know, and you know, whatever the State Department came up with. It was such a lame answer. It was, it was embarrassing. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, really hurt him right out of the gate was he had no plan for this. There was no, like, let's just withdraw everybody. And what, that's going to make us happy? Well, it didn't make us too happy because we lost 13 service members, like I said before, and 170 civilians that were killed by that terrorist attack. And then uh, what do we do? We sent out a drone attack. And uh, what happens is we think it's a terrorist, but it's really an aid worker. And uh, I can't remember how many people were killed in that drone strike and they were all civilians. So I think maybe that's why Sniffy took the extra time to go after Al-Zawari. Who, yeah. who we just killed. But it took him four months to plan all that. And we know how slippery those guys are. And they, they can be in Kabul one day and then gone the next. Yeah. You know, but uh, I guess that's a feather in his hat. But but even so, I mean, it was, it was still, I think one of the darkest days as far as a hasty retreat goes, it was a really bad way of doing it. And it didn't help his position globally because, you know, Joe is seen as weak. I mean, obviously Putin's season was weak and Putin's whole war that got started was kind of a, a game plan that he used in Syria when Barack Obama was in charge. Yeah. It's always a test and it's like, okay, if they, if they fail the test, which Sniffy did yeah. by that horrible retreat, then it's just like, okay, it's time to take over Ukraine and the rest is history, as they say. But it didn't help him on the global stage at all. And uh, now we have Russia, we have North Korea, we have Iran. They're all kind of rattling sabers and they're threatening nuclear war and so forth and so on. So, uh, you know, Skeletor Nancy Pelosi? <laughs> Going to Taiwan didn't help things either. 
No. By any stretch of the imaginations. The way we bailed, I think, is the issue. It's almost an embarrassment to the United States. Absolutely. Now you see it on the, the global stage. Absolutely. Now we can really test them. Now we can really see what we can get away with. Now, I don't know if Donald Trump would have changed that or not, but at least there was a plan to withdraw. Unfortunately, it just wasn't accomplished during his time in the White House. Yeah. But the good news is, is uh, Sniffy Joe's polling went up to a whopping 40%. And it depends on which polls you look at, but Reuters had him somewhere around 36 from, I think, a, a month or two ago. He was down to like 31, 32%. So all that means is that 60% of America still thinks you suck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, we're all the way up. It's, it's kind of like his inflation thing. It's like, hey, inflation didn't go up at all this this month. Yeah. Well, dude, it's back down to 8.5% from 9.1%. That's, yeah. that's a, an accomplishment? In their mind, it is, yeah. I guess so. Meanwhile, us American taxpayers just getting bent over. It's starting to get a little painful these days. I just need to stockpile weapons and buy property. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. And then move to Florissant. You know, because <laughs> I, I'm still convinced that aliens have landed out there and they're eating the brains of people. Okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, I just kind of want to bring that up because uh, I don't want people to forget. And uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. So my opinion in the Bear Cave is you can take your pronouns and leave them at the door outside. Yeah, just just be just be people, man. Yeah, don't care about that. Anyway, uh, speaking of, of not caring, there's one person I really don't care about, and he's back in the news again. It's Russia's version of Fat Bastard. C-level actor Comrade Steven Seagal is back in the news for all the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah. I, honestly, I thought he was dead. I have not he's seen or heard anything from the guy in what a decade well when he got dual citizenship with russia he's dead to me but uh <laughs> but he's back at it again and now putin is using him as a mouthpiece and as a propaganda tool yeah and that's the guy you want that's the guy you want offering his advice oh of course steven seagal the shaolin i don't know whatever he is this these days shaolin monk slash detective slash <laughs> Actor, I don't, yeah, slash karate teacher. <laughs> I still think the best depiction was on Mad TV. Oh, yeah. You know, when he's uh, he's, he's going to fly without wires. But uh, I, I think the guy actually believes that, you know, but uh, he's been a controversial figure for years because of his uh, abuse in Hollywood. And I think when Hollywood finally got tired of his, his uh, action melodramas, See, yeah. See, I, I did that. I like how you did that. He's just not a viable person anymore because his, his movies are, he cranks them out so fast for video that you couldn't keep up with them back in the you know 80s and 90s. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw Under Siege 1 and the, how many did they make? Like four of them? At least. Yeah, so I think I saw one and three and <laughs> the one movie he did with DMX because I like DMX. Right, right. <laughs> well, anyway, this time he's, uh, I, I guess he's living in Russia now full time. Oh. Uh, because he's got the dual citizenship. But now Fat Bastard is turncoated all the way because he's supporting Vladimir Putin and his pretty much reign of terror in Ukraine. So he goes on a nightly show, it's called Evening, and remember the uh, the steel mill that was in Mariupol? They were held up there for weeks, right? Oh, yeah. And eventually they had to, uh, the Ukrainians had to surrender and they were taken to a jail in the Donetsk region, I think. I think I'm saying that right. And that jail was bombed and 53 of those prisoners of wars were killed. Now, of course, Seagal goes on TV and runs his pie hole and says, you know, I've, I've been there and it was definitely missiles. And what the Russians are claiming is that it was the U.S. supplied high mobility artillery rocket system or the HIMARS that was used. Well, wait a minute. 
Russians have lots of rockets too. Yeah. And why would the Ukrainians kill their own people because their their POWs? Makes no sense. So what, he's claiming that it's like a false flag from the Ukrainians? Exactly. This is what he says. He says, I saw the missile attack and it was from HIMARS. I had to go see that for myself and saw indeed that it was a missile. It came through and incinerated the entire area. Oh, so now he's an, an expert. Have you seen the show Lawman? He's an expert on everything. Oh, oh yeah. I like that can, one. The guy can hear a helicopter and know exactly what it is because, you know, he's been flying helicopters for 70 years. I, I love it, too, when he gets out of the car and he's, like, chewing on a carrot. <laughs> you see that one? He's in Louisiana. He's, he's like, wait a minute, dude. What? You Bugs Bunny? <laughs> he's, he's eating a carrot. He's getting out of the car. He's like, no, look, dude, you're still fat. You look fat on television. So just the carrot is not helping you at all. So now, uh, yeah, add that to his to his resume. He's also a uh, missile and explosives expert. Exactly. But he goes on further. He says, I can tell you 1 billion percent that it wasn't a bomb that would blow from the ground floor up. You can see where the missile came in from the outside and incinerated everything. So here he goes again. You know, he's now he's a explosive ordnance expert. <laughs> and then he goes, uh, all the news outlets in the world, I think CNN has the least respect of any entity on earth. Okay, well, that's one thing I can agree on. I can, yeah, I can get behind that. But, you know, add Fox and everybody else in there too and we'll, we're good. But then uh, a few months ago, remember Arnold Schwarzenegger makes some comments because Vladimir Putin, it's all about the Nazis that are infiltrating Ukraine, right? It's yes. all about the Nazis. He also criticized action star Arnold Schwarzenegger when he made the videotape to appeal the Russians to resist their country's disinformation efforts, right? He said, when Arnie says, oh, there are no Nazis, I have interviewed and seen hundreds and hundreds of Nazis. They're saying to me, I was in the fight and we love effing killing people. Nazis have been left in the Ukraine from World War II. So now he is also a historian. Now, wait a minute. Since World War II, Ukraine was part of Russia. Yeah. If uh, I'm not a historian either, but you know, that's that's pretty common knowledge until they, they broke off from the former Soviet Union and became the Ukraine. So do you think that Vladimir Putin or anybody else would leave Nazis in, in Russia? I mean, okay, I guess uh, everybody believes that in Russia right now, but... Uh, when did this, like, this Nazi talk come back into play? That was one of the reasons that uh, Putin invaded Ukraine was because he said uh, Ukraine's being run by Nazis and, you know, we're going to eliminate the Nazis and all this other stuff. Uh. It's like, I guess he forgot that the uh, president of the Ukraine is Jewish. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> anyway, he goes, uh, Russia, in my opinion, was facing an existential threat. Existential? Yeah. It's a big word for me. Yeah. <laughs> if they want to be Nazis, let them be Nazis. We don't give a crap. I'll put that in there. But we really want NATO to get out and let Ukraine be neutral. Because I am Russian, his words, this is my home. And the host says, oh, I love that. Oh, of course. So uh, it's it's pretty well known that his maternal grandparents were Russian Jews who immigrated to the United States, and then he traces his roots back to parts of, of Russia. Anyway, for years, I think Segal has been praising Putin, who gave him a Russian passport in 2016. So that bastard's at it again. Damn. Well, comrade fat bastard, we here in the Bear Cave have saved a special place for you later on in the show, guaranteed. <laughs> Well, when we come back, we'll be talking to Interim Chief Eric Holt. So come on back and hang out with us for a while. You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and I've lived in four different states. 
When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Teller County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at csabode.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied. back into the bear cave i'm dennis errol zach has stepped out for just a second but have no fear in-house i've got uh, our journalist and field producer trevor phipps trevor thanks for stopping by today appreciate it yeah how's it going it's going okay but uh more importantly uh today our guest is a figure that is uh well known in the community he's been around for a while and that is the are you still the interim chief i am yes okay it's the interim chief of the fluorescent fire protection board or district, district, district. Okay. Anyway, it's a uh, Eric Holt. Hey, welcome into the Bear Cave. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. I, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, needless to say, uh, kind of do a uh, kind of get to know you kind of thing. So uh, we were talking earlier, and you're uh, you're a firefighter in the military, right? Yeah. So I I started firefighting at 16 years old at, in an ROP program in high school, and I done nothing since. I joined the Army, was a firefighter in the Army. I worked at Fort Hood Fire Department, transferred up to Fort Carson in 2013, been there since. And then I lived in El Paso County, moved up to Teller County in 2020, November of 2020. So needless to say, you've been up here for a while. You've been doing your thing. And and uh, how did, the, kind of take me back to your, your career here in, in Teller County. How'd that all start? Accidentally, I guess. I, I was working at Fort Carson and moved up here to Teller County. I met uh, the Four Mile guys and uh, Florissant guys out at the Snare Ranch doing uh, the rodeo. I guess it would have been 2021. Talked to them, and then all of a sudden, I got a phone call asking if I would be interested in being on the board in Florissant. So right around September, October of last year, I met with the uh, fire chief and the president of the board. They asked me if I'd come on and kind of use some of my background to help them out. And then I did that until February, and I resigned from the board and went about life. And then all of a sudden, in April, I got a phone call uh, asking if I would serve as the interim for about two, three weeks, roughly, was the idea at the time. Let's go back, because obviously there's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of unhappy people that are out there, and uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't know the whole story. But uh, what intrigued me is when I read your letter uh, a couple months ago, I thought, yeah, you know what? And Trevor and I kicked it around. It's like, maybe we should uh, invite the chief out and, and uh, kind of get your side of the story. But uh, here's my layman's understanding. And of course, it's all coming from you know what I've read and stuff like that. So it could be biased by the writer. It could not be biased. I don't know. It seems like there's only been one reporter that's been covering this for a while. But what got my attention is because uh, last year we did a podcast with the uh, sheriff's office. Uh, last year? Yeah, it was last year at Open House at... Uh, 
I think it was still at 110 Reserve. And when the story broke with uh, Angel and former Chief Bailey, that's what caught my attention because there was a lot of allegations that were happening. There was, uh, you know, some racial tension that was happening allegedly, and there's all this kind of stuff going on. It, it kind of surprised me, but it didn't surprise me kind of thing. I, I keep saying that I think the aliens have landed in Florissant and they're eating the brains of people out there and have just taken over. I mean, that's, that's what it seems like to me some days. Yeah, I think the uh, EPA needs to study radon a little better or something. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. But uh, now, how did this all kind of get started from your opinion? There's some controversy with Chief Bailey going on. I have never heard the exact reason why he was fired or why he was let go. So... If you can't talk about it, because I, I don't know if there's cases that are still active or not or what's going on, but if you can't talk about it, what is your interpretation of the events that occurred back then? And then we can kind of move forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to be careful, of course. Um, I, I think the madness that has been created out of this has lost all logic and reasoning. Um, that's my biggest kind of concern with things is, is reality no longer exists and fluorescent. Um, you know, we, we have at-will employment here and it wasn't meshing. So they investigated and terminated him. As far as I dip into it, you know what I mean? I don't want to get wrapped around it. I have a job to do and it's not my focus to worry about the relationship between an old board that's no longer present and an old chief that's not here anymore. It has been absolutely chaotic in getting to that. And again, logic is gone. I don't even know how to like quantify that in, in words anymore. But I had a good relationship with Chief Bailey up until I guess he went on leave. Um, and I get it. You know, I was put in that position and to fill that role. But prior to that, we had a good relationship. One of the stories that I read is that he had made some remarks online or on a Facebook page or had made some comments. I, I don't know what those comments were. Nobody's ever seen what those comments were. So that was me. Um, as a board member, there was a post against Four Mile, our mutual aid partner. I didn't know anybody from there at the time. I mean, I, I had a mutual friend or a friend of a friend, I guess, but uh, I didn't know really anybody in the area. I, I, again, I moved up here in November of 2020. Uh, most of my work has been in El Paso County. So there was a post on there kind of criticizing uh, their salaries down there and how they've staffed their department. And I wasn't uh, belligerent or, or rude or anything. I I just commented like, you know, these are volunteers and small budgets and the challenges of firefighting in, in rural America. And unbeknownst to me, it ended up being a wife of a volunteer that had posted it. Next board meeting in February, they came and they voiced their digressions. <laughs> and uh, I resigned from the board. I didn't want to be a distraction to anybody, you know. So um, I had my career going on and uh, I met with the other board members up to the meeting. I said, hey, like, I don't mind resigning. I, you know, I'm, I'm not here for anything but to help out. And I live in this community and my kids live here, my neighbors. So that's what I'm here for. And if I'm a distraction to that, then let me go. And I did, um, February 23rd, I think it was. And then I had no interaction with anybody from Fluorescent Fire until April. That's kind of the, the rundown there. It wasn't Jeep Bailey. It was me. He, he took offense to, uh, that I had posted it and it was taken down, I think the same night. So I think I, I met Chief Bailey maybe one time. And I think that may have been at the, uh, open house is where I met him. I didn't really talk to him or anything like that. I just knew that, you know, he came from California and, um, and everything that I know about him, he seemed like a pretty credible firefighter. He seemed like a, a good person for the job. But uh, when all this stuff kind of got started, you know how it is. It's uh, We call it the Mountain Inquirer here on the, on the Bear Cave. Things start to snowball. So who do you believe? And we were critical of the board. I mean, I was critical of the board because I thought the community isn't being served by all this chaotic nonsense that's going on. And allegedly, you know, board members are talking about, you know, putting bones of people's carcasses. I missed that one. I, well, well, allegedly what happened according to, according to uh, what we read. And I, I don't know if it was the same. Yeah, it was, it was a Mary Mogana. Yeah. And uh, supposedly what happened was during one of the board meetings that 
uh, one of the board members, I think it was a firefighter who was filming the whole thing. And uh, we, we all know how that goes these days. I mean, people troll and just film to get reactions from people. I'm not saying that happened in this case, but allegedly what happened is one of the board members said, hey, put the phone away or I'm going to shove the phone up your butt. I'm being nice about that. Yeah. But you get you get the idea. So I don't know if that happened or if it didn't happen. Then another story is uh, the next board meeting a, a week or two later, the uh, board members were not facing the audience. They were facing away from the audience. So I don't know if any of this stuff is true, but hey, you were there. Is it? Yeah. Is it or isn't it? It was the one board meeting we got to actually have. Um, understand like this has been me existing and like no governing body for months. I was going to go out there just in case a cage was set up. <laughs> yeah. So like a, a regular board meeting is basically, you know, like the chief's report of the condition of the department, what we need, finances, all the stuff that they then take and it, they control the the purse basically. It, it is not an interactive social hour, right? So we were facing each other and then, the, you know, off to the right was all the seating and oh my goodness. So people got pissed off because they thought they were being slighted is what you're saying basically, right? Well, like we had a microphone system and, and I talk quiet. So uh, I think they took issue with like my quiet voice and the, the microphone's like a center little on the table. Spare no expense. Yeah. But it was like, you know, we had a, a thing scheduled for after the meeting for question and answers and all this stuff. And it was just like, I can't hear you and yelling and screaming. And it's like, we're not hiding anything. Like this all gets published and it's on minutes and all this stuff. This is a report to uh, this board that has not existed. There's a lot of business that needs to take place. And uh, none of that was accomplished. It was just a mess. Was this the same thing where people showed up with uh, signs and they were protesting or doing whatever they were doing? Well, I, I don't know if it's the same. They seem to do that at everyone <laughs> lately. It's a pep rally sometimes. I, I got a question real fast. When I was talking to the sheriff about all this, he was basically like, he's like, what he told me was that the same similar thing has happened to pretty much all the fire departments in Teller County in the last like 10 years. So it, is, this, is this something you're used to with your experience? I mean, is it common, I guess, maybe? or An executive officer of a department, whether it's police or, or fire, it is not uncommon. Like you can Google it and thousands of results to go on administrative leave. Given the circumstances at the time, that I wasn't privy to, you know, I came into this. Uh, I, I feel like it was a good decision. There wasn't a board. There was some chaos going on. Let's take a pause. And, you know, you're going to get paid. You're on vacation right now. And we'll reassemble the board. That's what the letter said. And all hell broke loose. Um, I've never seen a situation or a level of like lack of professionalism uh, like this ever occur. I mean, it's just been, you know, wake up every morning like, was that a dream? <laughs> oh, no, this is day to day. Um, <laughs> Daily life. So, um, Them damn mountain people. Yeah. The, the reaction was just insanity. And again, like I'm just one person, but I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was smart. And um, the board member that at the time that was the one left knew who I was because we were on the board together. Um, I was critical of the board on, on many things when I came in. This needs to be fixed and here's why and all these things. And they listened. So it wasn't like this merry bunch of people that are just doing the wrong thing. It was, you know, guys that come from different backgrounds. Uh, I think there was two businessmen, three businessmen um, that, that have been successful. And then, um, well, let me, let me ask you this. Do you think at the beginning it was kind of a good old boy network? Like it's been accused of being, or is that just a uh, hyperbole? Yeah. I, I mean, definitely hyperbole and it's gotten insane. We can talk about that in a minute, but um, no, not at all. I wouldn't, why would they have brought me in outsider that just moved into the County? They saw a new guy coming. It's like, okay, let's get this guy. Yeah. I guess they recruited me and I took a blood oath or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> Um, no, I, I was unknown. Okay, roll up your sleeves. You want to see if there's any marks on your arms? Um, 
Yeah. So they, I mean, they, they asked me, they couldn't fill board positions back then. And now there's hundreds of people that maybe not hundreds, dozens. <laughs> all of a sudden, um, right? Yeah. They're so mad that the board is who it was and all these allegations, but like nobody existed before. It was position I filled was vacant for months. But see, that's what I'm trying to get to is like, why are people so angry out there? I don't get it. I, I don't know the answer to that. Like a lot of things in life make sense now. Like nobody would ever join a cult. Oh, I get it now. You know, like, oh yes, they would. Yeah. Like it's uh people take information and they're biased and they just run with it. You know, I mean, I I've done this my whole life. This is my niche in, in my profession. And I've been told I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm an idiot and I'm not qualified and all these things. It's like, that, that's been vetted. You know, um, I'm not here to do anything but my job. And I had a great career going on. I didn't need this or want this or anything. It just, it fell into place. I got a call. I committed to a few weeks, talked to my fire chief and uh, he was good with it. And then it's almost well, four months. say four months later, you're still here. <laughs> so are you still employed with the Fort Carson? Um, I'm still in the books, but I've, I've basically had to resign my position to continue doing this. And that, that route will go as it, as it does. You know, I'm not too worried about it. I put a really good resume and I can go pretty much anywhere. But you know, the, the frustrating thing for me is like, this is my world and, and my passion in life. And I've sacrificed a lot, uh, to just be attacked and you know, it is what it is, but I'm not here for, uh, any personal gain. I surely have lost a, a lot of income and um, time and freedom. Like I don't leave district very often because, you know, my job right now is respond to calls and, and take care of stuff. So it's sun up to sundown. I just want to thank you real fast for stepping up because I have heard, I mean, the calls have still been happening. I heard the Florissant Fire Department assisted with the fire they had out towards Cripple Creek pretty good. So it sounds like to me that you've stepped up and kind of kept things going to the best of your ability. So I, I, I just want to thank you for that and point that out. I appreciate that. I mean, that's, that's what the job is though. You know, like High Park fire kicked off. There was the one right here too. You know, we, we just go. I got dispatched down to High Park. Uh, I got assigned as a division, the, the Southern division and for four days until the feds came in, owned it, you know, like we, we just work. That's the easy life for us. It's, <laughs> you know, getting away from the craziness. See, that, that brings me up to another point and, and I hate to bring up all these allegations and stuff like that, but you know, this is your chance to kind of not come clean, but just give us your side of the story because there's been so much stuff that's kind of been heaped on your head. And, uh, you know, in the barricade, being the sarcastic people that we are, you know, we make fun of a lot of that kind of stuff. But, you know, now it's time to just, okay, let's let's get him on. Let's get the chief on and see what's actually going on. So talking about pay, um, the article came out last week in The Courier, and um, I'm, I'm still not understanding what's going on. But uh, you haven't gotten a dime for the work that you've been doing in four months now, right? Well, I, d- I just did. Um, oh, God, thank God for small favors. Yeah, it's a, uh, that's been the challenge, right? Like uh, paying bills out of savings and, and, you know, I have children and I have a spouse and I have a home and friends, neighbors, all that stuff. And it's like everything stopped. You know, if it was anybody else, they would have packed up and, and, and bailed by now. Yeah. A lot of my biggest criticizers say that like, oh, I wouldn't have done it, you know? And it's, I've, I've had some tough days where I'm like, you know what, I'm dropping this vehicle off and I'm, I'm, there was no commitment to, to doing it this long. Um, but just internally, I can't, I can't do that. The fear of what happens on the next call keeps me going. And yeah, there's been calls. I mean, it doesn't slow down. Things happen, right? I mean, the same thing, you know, I, I, I figured that out uh, in May when the fire up close to the bear cave. And I noticed that uh, all the firefighters, Woodland Park PD, the Teller County Sheriff's Office, they all work together. And that's what amazes me with people up here. I mean, they can sit there and bitch and whine all they want because that's what people do. I mean, they just, yeah. it just, it permeates the whole country. It seems like it's sometimes it's a little bit more up here. 
Um, so, you know, get out of the house and go do something. But but anyway, they all came together for a common cause and everybody kept working because there's this threat that's out there and nobody complained about it. They just did their jobs. Yeah. it's And, and that's an important point to make is like all the agencies here work together and we are limited on resources. We're limited on budgets and personnel and all that stuff. And that's been twisted into like this good old boy club that isn't a reality. Like the, the reality is, is across America, rural departments rely on each other and we work well together and we focus on the mission at hand and work our tails off and sleep later. And then, you know, recoup for the next one. That's the life of, of firefighting. And to say it's like this good old boy system here that somehow I was adopted into being an outsider, um, it, it's just, it really is damaging to the service that, and profession of both law enforcement and firefighting. And it's really hard to see that, you know, it's how do you, how do you counter that claim? You know? Yeah, we work together well. Um, when I came in, the uh, re- relationships with uh, specifically Four Mile Fire Department, which is our ally, was um, completely destroyed. And my first mission was to like, why is this existing and how do we fix it? Because anything south of Florissant, we need them. Uh, CME fire, uh, it was called the Boolean fire, but uh, I was the incident commander for that and called them and they gave me, and without them, we wouldn't have CME. Why, why is that? Why do you think there's, there's this uh, competitive nature that exists? Um, I can't really speak to it. You know, like in, in the world of professional firefighting, it, it's not a thing. I had to look into a whole lot of allegations when I came on. And that was one of the main ones. When I researched it, there was four incidents from January until April that Four Mile responded, all were fires. Two, I think, were house fires, two were grass fires. And an email from the prior chief of Florissant to the chief down there was, do not respond unless I tell you to. That goes against all county protocols um, and is dangerous, you know? The standard in, in our world is we, everything is the worst case scenario. Always. We make decisions uh, to counter that. So get everybody in route until I'm there and the hazard's been mitigated and then we'll cancel. To not have that is very dangerous for our community, for our personnel, their personnel, everybody. So that was a big priority to, to fix when I came in. And I would say it's improved immensely. I mean, it's it's a good relationship now. Kind of interested in, can you just kind of talk about the area that Florissant Fire Protection District covers? Because it seems like it's square mile wise, you've got quite a bit of territory, right? Yeah, I think there's small countries that are smaller than this <laughs> district sometimes. But uh, north of Highway 24, all of Indian Creek, Florissant Heights, everything up to National Forest. Um, and south just north of the gas station down there at, at 11 and 1. We butt up with Divide right around the Twin Rocks and 42. And then uh, Lake George on the other side. I mean, it's a it's a large swath of land. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, 30 minutes of response times to get to a, a scene. There's, you know, accusations from former firefighters or volunteer firefighters that accuse you of being a dangerous guy or, you know, there's all these allegations. It's, I'm not telling you anything that you haven't heard already. And, uh, you know, you've had to let some people go. And, and I'm speaking from an outsider because I don't know beans about firefighting other than living in Southern California. I was evacuated several times. So this is, this is nothing new to me as far as the chaos goes. But uh, how do you address those issues? Is this a, a case of someone just uh, you know, having, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say having a bad day, but you know, somebody's pissed off and they just said, oh, the chief is this and this and he's dangerous and, and all those kinds of things. What do you, what do you say to those allegations? Uh, well, I mean, it's been very clear. Like there was a mob of people, both internally and externally, and they've dead set on, on getting their desired goal. Um, I, I really did fail for three months by not enforcing the policies of the department. Policies I didn't write that Bailey didn't even write. They, they've been in existence for a decade at Florissant Fire. You know, like in leadership, you have to assess the situation. And it's been nothing but um, situational leadership. Like 
I don't want to get on people in an emotional situation, but professionalism is serving the community and that comes first. And uh, very softly tried to enforce policies for three months. And at some point you have to change that culture. Do you think it's because people get like in kind of a comfort zone with uh, with some leaders? And uh, yeah, because it is a small community and, and uh, you got a lot of volunteers that I guess they kind of bond, you know? And uh, when something goes wrong, then there's always some kind of a reaction that you have to deal with. And being an outsider, I can't imagine how, you know, that's not a good feeling. There, there's some con- contrast to the previous chief in my leadership style. Um, he was very relationship based. And, you know, in meetings, we get people like screaming like, oh, these super qualified people. You know, it's the reality is, is coming from the career side of this and into the volunteers, there's a huge difference in, in what qualifications are and experiences. And, you know, I can only come in with my experience, which I've been abused by this, this career, <laughs> but I love it. Um, I've been on a lot of things that are, are learning situations in life. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I came into officers of lieutenants, captains, and a department that I had no input on or uh, any culture. And it, it just seemed to be kind of a social club. And and that's great. The family aspect of the fire service is, is amazing. I mean, my kids know hundreds of uncles, you know, from this. Um, they've been in it their whole life, but that, that comes secondary to um, the service we provide. I think I can relate to what you're saying because I had a similar experience when I came in off of active duty. Um as a uh, as an advisor to a National Guard unit. And uh, I, I kind of, it's probably a horrible comparison, but there are some similarities there, right? So you come off active duty and just coming from the 82nd Airborne Division. So I was in a pretty strike unit and I, and I come into this environment. I'm just like, who the hell are these people? What, what is going on here? And, you know, that's not the case anymore because, uh, you know, those, they're awesome units. The National Guard is just a, it's an amazing organization. But, but that's kind of what I faced back in, uh, I don't know, it was like uh, the late, 70s or something like that. It was just kind of a kind of a good old boy thing. It's like, this can't function. So you have to, as a leader, kind of mold it into the way you want it. It takes time to do that, but eventually people hopefully will come on over and say, okay, yeah, they're, they're doing a, a good job. They're making a positive impact on the community. So I think that's, uh, I can understand what you're saying. Yeah. And it's, a, you know, the, the heart is in the right place for sure. Um, I'm, I'm pretty stringent on these things. Uh, I, I've lost several friends and, and um, two very close ones uh, in 2020 and 2021. One just this week was his second anniversary of, of his passing. You know, firefighting is, is a dangerous world and life and death decisions get made. And I can't, you know, coming in from the outside, really having to evaluate, like, is this person trained, qualified and, and ready to make a situation that could be somebody's life or death? And that's an eerie feeling to have, you know, as, as the interim, but uh, top position in the department. So it, it, came with a lot of fear, a lot of lost sleep. And, you know, ultimately, like, again, the reality versus the the passion and emotion that we see in meetings and these accusations and claims that were a super qualified person was was cast aside. And it's, it's really like any business. I mean, I don't care if you go to Taco Bell here in town, you know, they have their organizational policies and standards. And if you don't meet them, you don't meet them. Um, and, and I understand it's volunteer world and it's very selfless, but you still have to um, abide by a professional culture. Yeah, so I just had a question. Um, one of the things that I read, I think that article, I think it said it like more than one time, but it was basically claimed that you were firing volunteers and you wanted to get more paid positions and less volunteers. Can it, I mean, for one, is that true? And can you kind of explain that? I, I do need to address these articles. Um, they uh, do not come from a 
place of integrity. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to the reporter several times um, and messages that I have text or um, maybe recorded have been passed on to individual that's upset. So um, there, there's a cohort there and a purposeful means of, of publishing these things. And it's, it's, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too critical, but like, it's, it's sad to see. It's probably why the sheriff quit talking to the news media, especially me. Right. <laughs> it, it's hard. Like uh, that, that letter I published, it took me three months, you know, I like wrote it, deleted it. Yeah. I mean, at, at some point you do. And to address like um, your question, it's, there's so many things like the, this fire authority thing that everybody's taken over. And um, the whole point of this was to get fluorescent taken over. And it's like, stop making that a possibility. First of all, let us function. But the second part of that is like my view on fire department is an internal view. And everybody that criticizes us is an external view that has never served a day or ran a call. And that was part of that letter is like community. Who are you listening to? You know, this is my world and, and I'm decent at it. You know, um, I have a lot of experience and we should always be looking how to improve our service. It's life and death. People's lives that live in our community and pay these taxes rely on it. Why is there criticism about looking to improve the services we provide on very limited budgets? You know, I'm not, I'm a data person. So when I ask for something, I've spent 20 hours researching statistics, data, comparisons, all this stuff before I say, hey, I think this is our best bang for the buck. You know, it's not based on emotion. It's a lifetime of doing it. Um, so yes, I, I did request that we do some part-time positions uh, for coverage because being the interim chief for the last four months, it is an unsustainable schedule. There's calls 24-7. You know, I think I've ran like 120 calls in the last four months. A decent number. You know, some of those being the Bullion Fire, the High Park Fire, where it's multiple days. and other ones, it's five minutes, you know, and we're clear. But uh, the chief's job is an administrative and leadership function. Um, so so you're talking 40 hours of admin work in the office, training volunteers, responding to calls. And I've tried to balance it, but my my kids are like, who the heck are you? You know, it needs to happen because even if I can keep doing it, I'm a workaholic. I mean, I'll work at 2 a.m. If you watch our Facebook page or anything, like you'll see posts going on because that's when I get to it. But uh, the reality is my decision-making needs to be pretty spot on. And if I'm fatigued, that's a problem. Life and death again. So having other people to rely on that are qualified and there's other aspects of the the proposal I submitted, but it's very cheap. It's very cost effective and uh, it's very beneficial. So I don't understand these, these criticisms. Um, I get it because, uh, yeah, you, you, you say that it's an administrative job, but out in the rural area, it kind of isn't. I mean, because you're going to be strapping on, you know, the, the gear, fighting the, the blade just like anybody else if you have to. I mean, it's kind of a no brainer. And, uh, to me, not having any paid positions out there is just, uh, I don't know how you can function because the area is going to grow. It's going to get bigger. I mean, it's already getting bigger. There's construction going out in, in Florissant and, and uh, surrounding areas. Just to rely on a, a volunteer firefighting service, so to speak, with, in layman's terms, is uh, is kind of unsustainable. Yeah, there was a, we had a town hall meeting, um, which was my idea. I thought it would be a beneficial thing. I'd stand corrected, but... Uh, <laughs> but oops. You know, this this conspiracy of a fire authority taking over was, was asked, and I tried to give an explanation, which is um, NFPA is kind of our... It's not laws or rules, it's, it's suggestions, basically, but a huge governing body in firefighting. Um, so 1710 and 1720, and NFPA codes are professional and volunteer organizations. Professional, um, you know, we have like seven minutes 
with four trained, qualified people to get to a home on fire. And in volunteer, we have 15 minutes to do that. Why would we not have the goal of getting to the professional side of things? And I was met with uh, screaming and shouting that this is fluorescent and it will never grow. I'm like, well, Woodland Park 10, 20 years ago uh, would have made a mistake in, in thinking that, you know, this the population here exploded versus what it was back then. So um, as a fire service professional, you have to be looking at those things. And, uh, you know, we just can't seem to get back. We had a volunteer on the meeting using that I want to pay friends. It's like, well, the guy that I am trying to get in that position has been here longer than me. You know, it's it's not a buddy system. And and you know what? Even if it were, so what? If he's if he's a pro and happens to be your friend that gets hired, big deal. Yeah, I, and I and I have brought on people that I've worked with at, that live up here in Teller County that I've worked with in in the career side of doing this and they're super See, now my blood pressure is going up because now you hit a nerve. I mean, this is just sheer ignorance in my view because uh, who, who cares? If your house is on fire, are you going to go, well, I don't want this guy to help me because he's your friend and you, you hired yeah. me. You're freaking out of your mind if that's what your thought process is. So I think I've, I've committed so long now, uh, unintentionally that like the internal part of me is just like, this has to be fixed. And I need for like people to understand the condition of fluorescent fire. When I came in, I've been a career firefighter for 20 years. I've also volunteered most of that time in small departments and my hometown when I started 16 was smaller than fluorescent is. So, you know, I, I come in with a different view. Like I wasn't internal. I didn't have these emotional relationships with anybody. It was quality of the firefighting service and coming from the career side. That's what we focus on. And, uh, you know, we couldn't have put together a crew of four people to get on a fire engine and go put a house fire out based on qualifications and experience. It, you couldn't have had somebody to drive, pump the engine, deploy a hose, do all these things. And, and there's a lot of other operations that happen to put a house fire out and to save lives. And, you know, again, everything's worst case scenario, but a lot wow. of things just miss the mark in this community. Like, you know, one of my first reports was like, well, we evaluate response times and we're down like five, six minutes in certain areas. And people just were like, yeah, whatever. If you're not breathing, six minutes is forever. Um, so the metrics that matter, people don't seem concerned with, um, but I do. And so I stay up late at night looking at the data and the statistics and ways to improve it. And that's been my focus. You know, I get pulled into this this insane situation and I have to have a responsibility when, when somebody says, well, this has happened and that's happened to look into it. But everything that I've looked into ends up at a dead end. And that's frustrating because it's a lot of wasted time when I could be focusing on how do we continue to improve? How do we train and qualify more people? How do we recruit more? Those are my focuses. So to answer the question, like I applied on the last hour that they, it, the window was open because I had to evaluate it. And I really only applied because I went, oh, they offered to me. I don't have to take it. I continue to evaluate the situation. But um, at the end of the day, when I tuck my kids into bed, they're relying on the fire department that I'm currently at the home of and trying to improve. So uh, I either have to move or I have to have the internal fortitude to stick this out. And it's been chaotic and I don't need the stress. But at the end of the day, people I care about rely on it and I'm going to do whatever I need to as a lifelong firefighter. That's a that's a pretty powerful statement as far as I'm concerned. And um, you've made a hell of a commitment, especially, like I say, just doing this for for no pay. And uh, I think that's what people need to realize is that, uh, yeah, it's a, that's a lot of stress. We take firefighters for granted. Some of us take police for granted. We take all our public services for granted because you move to a new area. It's like, yeah, it's already in place. It's supposed to be there. So when I make that phone call, why aren't they reacting? You know, and uh, it's, it's the one thing that I found that's uh, been quirky coming from, a, you know, the second largest city in the United States, being back embedded into a smaller community, the type that I grew up in. And it just drives me crazy. It's like, are you not seeing what's going on? And we've got 
but hardworking people, a lot of volunteers and good volunteers as well. That's how these communities run. And if you don't have training and they're not up to standard, then you're going to have a worse disaster than not. Well, anyway, uh, Eric, I'm going to call you chief because that's a, you got my respect for sure. If you have an open platform here, anytime you want to come on and, and talk about things, whether it's a uh, fire mitigation or whether it's, uh, you know, what people can do to help the community, anything you want to talk about, just uh, know that the Bear Cave is there and, and we have an open platform for you. I want to thank you for taking the time to come out to the Bear Cave and, and talk to us about uh, what's going on. And uh, we wish you good luck and continued success. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, everybody that's mitigating their properties, I'm a huge fan of you. I stop and thank you. Keep doing it. Keep working hard. We're all in this together. All right. When we come back, we will be with uh, the guy who's sitting right across from me right now. So don't go away. Are you tired of gambling? Or maybe gambling just isn't your thing? Then you need to come visit the historic Butte Theater, located in the heart of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Enjoy our classic melodramas, Shakespeare of the West, musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family, so get your tickets today at thebuttetheater.com and come join in our fun. back in the bear cave and as luck would have it we have our field producer trevor phipps in the studio today for a hot minute as zach is taking a break but uh Wow. What, what a great interview with Eric Cole. What did you think? Yeah, that was good. I was kind of opened my eyes. I, I feel like what's been reported and what's been out there is 180 from what's actually happened or what Chief's saying has happened. And I kind of tend to believe him. <laughs> well, it was not what I expected, right? I mean, it's kind of a pleasant surprise. I was kind of you know, expecting some controversial confrontation, so to speak, if that makes any sense. But uh, yeah, it seems like a pretty level-headed guy. And uh, I'll just throw it out there again. If there are people from the other side who don't agree with Chief Holt, then We'd love to hear from you and give you your time as well. And I'm sure there's a there's a few people out there. But uh, honestly, after uh, having that conversation, I think the chief is doing or trying to accomplish is a good thing. And people in Florissant are lucky to have him. But um, anyway, some uh, other local stuff going on right now. You're about to write an article on this that I think comes out today. And it's all about the gas prices. And man, talk about inconsistency. Yeah, well, basically, I mean, I've been I've had a lot of people reach out and say that I should report on it. So the theme is that. Woodland Park has more expensive gas prices than anywhere locally, and they're taking too much time to lower their prices because all across the country, we're hearing that prices have dropped like a dollar. Well, I think... Woodland Park was 489 at the max at the highest, and we're only down to like 459, 454, I think was the cheapest I saw last Friday. So like we were kind of trying to figure out why that is. And of course, four or five different gas stations in town, they're all owned by corporations that are based out of state. So I I tried to reach out to, I think all of them had zero luck. I got a hold of Alta Convenience Corporate and finally talked to one lady, and she told me she didn't know anything about how gas prices were set and she didn't know why. They are more expensive than other areas. And then I asked her. She was reading off the cue card that she had by her desk, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when I asked her, I was like, well, can I talk to somebody who does know who is control of that? And she's like, no, I can't give you that contact information. 
Of course so, not. The only logical reason that I kind of, that I was told, I talked to one manager who, who couldn't be named. And then I also talked to Deb Miller, the Chamber of Commerce, and they both actually kind of brought up good points. Manager said they have a store here and a store in Divide. Well, the one in Divide, there's only one other gas station that competes with them. So that one other gas station drops its prices and it kind of forces the hand of the other gas station to drop the price. But if you've got like five or six gas stations in one town that are, all of them are holding out and none of them are lowering their prices, you don't really have an incentive for any of the gas stations to lower their prices. And if, if you looked at the gas stations, they're still busy. People are still going there, even though they're 50 cents to a dollar more than other places like in a 30 mile radius. The one thing though that I wanted to bring up is for some reason, I noticed it happening pretty much about the start of the year. Like it's not a new thing. When we went up to uh, Hot Sulphur Springs late March, we drove through Winter Park, Granby, and then we came back down through Frisco, Dillon, Breckenridge. All of those towns I just mentioned, while they were still in ski season, had their lower prices of gas than Woodland Park. And that's never been the case. Like you used to go to like Aspen or Vail during ski season and it'd be like $1.50 more than anywhere else. It's something that I have noticed pretty much all, at least all summer starting last spring that Woodland Park has just had a higher price. And I mean, in Cripple Creek used to be 20 to 30 cents more all the time. And now they're about 20 cents less. Another gas station attendant explained to me, well, it's Woodland Park's a tourist town because for one, you've had a lot of people from Karis Bible College with the conferences coming up here. And then for two, it's just a big pass through town. People go to Cripple Creek to go further west, ought to go recreate in the mountains. So maybe there's just not enough traffic. The demand's there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So they don't need to lower their prices. And then people are filling up in Woodland Park before they head west because they would think, logic would tell you that usually it gets more expensive the further out of town you get. Well, it's not like that, but people are probably stopping in Woodland Park because when they're looking at their Google Maps, it doesn't look like Divider Floor since it's going to be big towns that have gas stations. Right. Or even when you got to Hartzell and, and places like that as well. And that's one thing I've noticed too, because uh, I'm the kind of person, this is how cheap I am. I will drive all the way down to 8th Street and fill up at the Dinosaur because <laughs> it's almost a dollar less down there. And you know, every time we go to a Vibes game or something like that, we stop off and see Dino, you know, the dinosaur and, right. and top off. But then, you know, there's such a big difference though. I was shocked. It's like, man, it's still like four eighty nine. And I was down in the Springs for some business and I'm always kind of looking around and shopping, you know, gas shopping. And uh, I was still amazed. And then, like you say, a couple of days ago, went down to like four fifty nine. And we have a big event coming up this week. I think it's this week, right? We got the Veterans Rally. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they fluctuate and go back up again. Because like you say, for a town this size, we've got a couple of loafing jugs. We've got a Valero. We've got a Conoco. We've got, you know, whatever else there is. I think when people either come up here when they're driving through or, or going, like you said, it's like, oh, this is the last place I've got. I better fill up. And then lo and behold, right. you've got plenty of gas to get between here and Buena Vista. You know, you kind of brought up the point I was going to mention but when I, I talked to Dan Williams, just because since I couldn't talk to known gas stations, I just kind of tried to call residents, the community, business owners, business experts to kind of get their take on it. And so I called Dan Williams, a county commissioner, and he brought up a good point too. He said, he's like, I've heard about that and I've seen people complain about it, but over time, the market's going to even itself out. Cause he said the same thing. He's like, when I'm in the Springs, I noticed diesel was like 60 cents cheaper. So I'm getting in there. And he said something like 40% of the people that live in Woodland Park commute to Carter Springs every day. So yeah, it makes sense. So eventually, the people that commute every day and then the people that commute up here to work, they're just going to stop buying gas up here and they're just going to buy gas in Carter Springs. Yeah, we got a big holiday coming up in a couple of weeks. I guess we'll see what happens after that. 
And what uh, cracks me up, if you look at uh, Sniffy Joe and, and his minions, they're so proud that gas came down a dollar, you know, and yeah, the gas is dropping down. But it wasn't his fault that gas prices raised, right? That's what gets me. It's like he totally washed himself from it when the gas prices were high. Now that it's lower, he's taking credit now. He's like, oh no, now it's not the greedy oil companies now. Look what, what I did. And- yeah, of course. Well, here's the other thing that doesn't make any sense. When he uh, plugged up the Keystone Pipeline, 11000 people lost their jobs, right? From the get-go. You just basically fired 11,000 people. But yet with the baby new green deal, we're going to hire 87,000 IRS agents. Uh, okay. That doesn't make much sense. I saw a survey too. They said that there's going to be in the next few years, 57,000 IRS agents are either going to retire, they're going to quit or, or, or whatever else. Well, what amazes me that people are actually buying into this crap, you know, it's just like, this is another reason that I am a completely unaffiliated voter and can't believe any of this crap that goes on. It's just a Get off your fake book page. But uh, anyway, moving on. Um, hey, you went up to uh, Donkey Derby Day. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to go up there. Um, kind of wrap it up for me. How was it? Um, it was pretty good. They had quite a turnout. I was impressed. During the parade, the streets were completely packed. They kind of did the donkey races different this year. They they made a little track out of the area of town where the train is. I guess that would be kind of like the far east side. A little bit different than they had done before. About half a minute was shut down, and that's where all the vendors were set up. And then they had live music, I think starting at noon, and then through the evening, the whole town was packed, and I think the businesses were getting people walking in and out. And from what I've heard and what I thought, I would say it was a success. I'm glad you were able able to go there and kind of uh, rep the bear cave because uh, I had an illness in the family and wasn't able to go up there. So that's two years in a row that I've missed it, which is kind of a drag. But uh, I know that Michelle was mad in that all-important tap in the beer tent. Yeah, she was there. Yeah, so we were uh, well represented, I would say. But um, anyway, uh, moving on from that, we're getting close to having some high school football and some other sports starting here in Woodland Park, right? Yeah, August 22nd, which is next Monday, school officially starts. And so that means fall sports pretty much already underway. I think they might have even started some games this week. So basically, fall sports in Woodland Park, we have volleyball, boys soccer, softball, cross country, and football. I know football, the first game is next Friday, the 6th. I'm not really sure when all the other sports start, but the volleyball team, I know, has started practices and stuff. Um, I've seen some posts from them. They're looking to have another good year. They were probably one of the best. They probably were the best team in high school sports last year. And I also, I got some kind of some bad news news yesterday when I because I went up to Triple Creek Victor schools yesterday and went took some pictures of the first day of school there and found out from the athletic director that there will be no football team Triple Creek and Victor high school or middle school this year they just couldn't get the yes they couldn't get the interest and I think they tried to have a team like a month or two ago and I think they might have played some scrimmages but then they didn't really have the numbers in first place and then a couple kids got hurt so they scrapped it and you have to opt in or opt out in a two-year cycle is the way that works so there will be no football in Cripple Creek for at least two years uh, that's a drag probably half the graduating class was the football team last year Year, so all six of them are gone. <laughs> yeah, and so all they've got for sports up there, they've got cross country, which the cross country coach up in Cripple Creek, cross country and track coach, Miss Amanda Wood, she's really awesome, puts on a really good program, gets interest in that. Um, she's also trying to raise money for a new track at the school. It's going to be a long road, I guess, because they're looking at about 800000 to a million dollars to do that. <laughs> so it's a lot of money that has to be raised. I drove by there just to kind of get familiar with uh, the school and stuff like that, and I saw the track and yeah it's a a mess so uh. yeah so they're working on that and then they're gonna have cheerleading too so they've got volleyball cheerleading cross country 
that's already started this week because they started school this week. And another thing I'd like to mention, since we're talking about Cripple Creek, pretty much the reason I was up there was because this year the community pitched in and they were able to get sponsors to give every single student that goes to the Cripple Creek and Victor School District a backpack filled with all the supplies that they needed. I mean, and we're talking, each of the backpacks had water bottles, they had headphones. Wow. And, I mean, think about what a burden that releases from the parents. Because, I mean, when you're, you're going to school, you got to get your kids haircuts. you got to buy them clothes. you got to buy them shoes. Well, supplies are sometimes the biggest pain in the butt trying to figure out certain classes and certain things. Well, that was all done for this year up there. So, And then another cool thing was that it might be a new thing, but since they're Title I, they also have free breakfast and free lunch for the students all year. So pretty good news up there. There's, I mean, I guess how it started for the supplies was they have a family family services advocate with the high school and middle school and she was going around trying to raise money to get supplies for certain families that are in the poverty level. Well, she got such interest and they were able to raise so much money to where they were able to provide it for every student. See, communities can come together, so all this bickering and crazy nonsense that goes on just needs to be put aside for the betterment of the community, I'm going to say so. Good on you, Cripple Creek and Victor for getting that done. I didn't bring the list of all the donors, but I know Aspen Mind Center helped out a lot. I think Maurice Woods Ace Hardware was the one that specifically bought headphones for all the elementary school kids, so they're all going to have headphones, new headphones this year. Well, maybe next week we can uh, we can talk about it and we'll list those donors on there and because uh, they deserve some props for sure for doing uh, that kind of work. And I love Aspen Mind Center, by the way. Yeah. That's a really cool place. And, you know, I, I hit up Ace Hardware every now and then too, so good for you guys. Anyway, Trevor, appreciate you coming in to the uh, cave today. It's been a long time since we had you in here. We're, we're happy to have you in. So with that being said, hopefully next week we'll have something a little bit positive to report, like a, uh, a football score with the Woodland Park Panthers winning the game. We'll be right back. Are you having a hard time seeing out of those dirty Colorado windows? Or maybe it's just time to finally clean those sidewalks, garages, and those stains on services around your home and office. Well, now there's a solution and it's Peak Washing LLC. Veteran owned and operated, Peak Washing LLC is your mobile window cleaning and pressure washing solution. Their services range from residential jobs to commercial projects using a safe and environmentally friendly approach. Peak Washing LLC can also clean and sanitize heavy construction equipment. There's virtually no job that Peak Washing can't handle. So call Greg at 719-651-7518 or find them on their Facebook page under Peak Washing LLC. That's Peak Washing LLC, your solution to that dirty job. Do you have an upcoming special event and don't know what to do? In the Shadow Designs can create one-of-a-kind pieces for you. Located in the heart of Woodland Park, Colorado, In the Shadow Designs specializes in beautiful centerpieces, wreaths, and one-of-a-kind creations for your home or business. Whether it's a baby shower, celebration of life, anniversary, or corporate event, let In the Shadow Designs meet your needs. So contact In the Shadow Designs today on their Facebook page or give them a call at 818-400-1456. Let In the Shadow Designs do the work for you so you don't have to.
We're back in the Bear Cave. I'm Dennis Zerl, and with me today is my guest co-host, Zach Stanyo. Grateful to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And uh, yeah, if uh, you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that it is time for News of the Weird. This week's headline reads, Family Values, Funeral Edition. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, we, we try to uh, find the interesting things every now and then. Oh, I know. I know you do. I'm just trying being the keyword. Yeah. But anyway, at a funeral on August 6th at Rolling Hills Memorial Park in Richmond, California. I think that's in the Bay Area, if I'm not mistaken. Some of the East Bay Area somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, a family fight broke out after a, the deceased son and daughter started arguing. And I think the deceased was dad who had passed away. Police were called to the scene around 1.30 p.m and there was up to 20 family members who had abandoned the service to fight with each other. Okay. The 36-year-old brother got into his vehicle and attempted to drive toward his sister in an aggressive way. At the, at like the burial site. At that place. Yep, exactly. Yep, at the burial site. But instead, he struck another female and sent her to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, said Sergeant Eric Pomeroy from the Richmond Police Department. He also managed to knock over, this gets better, headstones, vases, and uh, he broke a water main at the same time, causing the funeral plot to fill up with water, and the coup de grace was, he knocked over the casket. What? Did he, wait, was the, was the headstone his dad's headstone i it didn't say oh well it was at the funeral so i'm guessing that you know he wasn't planted quite yet but anyway he uh he knocked over a headstone but uh apparently they must have been around the uh the open grave yeah but he knocks over the casket this is like a bad movie yeah, it is death at a funeral the good news is the deceased did not fall out i, I guess that's good news when the brother finally emerged from the car someone hit him with a cane to subdue him <laughs> I can see it now. It's like Granny just punching punch him out with a cane. The brother was later charged with felony assault with a deadly weapon and vandalism. Oh, man. So not only do they miss one person for the rest of their lives, but they're going to miss this guy for the next 10 to 15. Probably. Well, it's California, so. Oh, yeah. he's gone. Yeah, he'll be out in like 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. He'll be sucking down Zinfandel and eating pills with uh, Paul Pelosi. <laughs> I'm guessing. I don't know. They don't mention any names in this article, though. I wonder why. Maybe he was a uh, son or a daughter of uh, someone, someone famous. Who knows? Yeah, it could have been. That would have been great if it was Nancy. Oh, man. I don't know if she can deal with another <laughs> car issue uh, family member. Oh, God. Well, with that all being said, let's see who makes the bear pile. Oh, yeah. Each week, we nominate the top events and or people who should be tossed on the bear pile and eaten by the bears. <laughs> The person, place, and or thing to be thrown on the bear pile to be eaten by the bears this week is... The U.S. Senate for passing the Baby Green New Deal disguised as the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, whatever. And we all know what it is. I mean, you're not hiding anything. Yeah. Anyway, we still hope Joe Manchin burns in hell. (laughs) The nominations this week are... Number one... Comrade fat bastard Steven Seagal for being the lapdog of Vlad the Impaler and biting the American hand that fed him and his less than average fantasy films. I think, Steven, you just plain suck. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's Stefan now. He's just, he, I don't know, man. He's like trying to grasp that 15 minutes any way he can. Yeah, well, he, he needs to put down the sandwiches. <laughs> he's grasped a lot of those here lately. Yeah, take that 15 minutes and roll it into P90X or something. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's the spirit. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he's an expert at karate. He already has expert health. What? Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he's an expert at everything. Number two, the funeral demolition derby brother for trying to kill his sister at his father's funeral. And you know what? It's probably best to just jump in that hole after Pops and save the taxpayers some money. Amen. And number three, the gas stations in Woodland Park for fleecing the general public to feed their greedy pockets. You know, I personally have no problem driving down the hill and visiting Dino the Dinosaur on 8th Street. Well, that's a wrap for us this week. Thanks for joining us in the Bear Cave. It was great fun, and we hope that you enjoyed the show. Zach, I appreciate you coming and sitting in for us this week, and you're welcome to come back anytime. Oh, I gladly, gladly will come back anytime. Thank you for having me. We had a great time. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, the Historic Butte Theater, In the Shadow Designs, and Peak Washing, LLC. Special thanks to our guest, Chief Eric Holt, for coming into the Bear Cave and kind of laying it all out there for us. And thanks, as always, to our field producer, Trevor Phipps, for taking the time to come into the Bear Cave this week. It was good seeing him. If you have an event coming up or you want to become a sponsor of the show, hit us up on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name. You can access the show on Spotify, Podbean, or Anchor by Spotify. And as always, your hate mail can be sent to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. Next week, our guest is going to be, yep, you guessed it, Comrade Steven Seagal. We want to know what it feels like to be the chogi boy of Vlad the Impaler. I wonder if he gets extra borscht for lying to the camera. You know he does. It's, it's got to be in his contract when he signed up to be a uh, Russian citizen. He probably slurps it by the gallon, I would imagine. <laughs> U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland was supposed to come in, but uh, we got word that he's sending the FBI to raid the Bear Cave closets. Oh, no! Uh Uh-oh. I wonder if he's still looking for that special party dress. Uh, Maybe not. Talk to you again next week, everyone. Be well, and thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity.